Welcome to the Free to Be More podcast by the Enoch Pratt Free Library. I'm your host, Megan McCorkle. This podcast series features conversations with leaders and innovators having a positive impact in our city. Let's get started. Your journey starts here. She owns her own bookstore and runs her own magazine. While being an entrepreneur is her life's work, Tia Hamilton's passion is helping those who were formerly incarcerated find their path in life. This episode of the Free to Be More podcast, we go one-on-one with Hamilton to talk about the power of second chances. Tia Hamilton, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. For people who are not familiar with you, tell me a little bit about yourself, your background. I knew you were born in New York, but you grew up here in Baltimore. Yes, born in New York. I grew up here in Baltimore, and I often frequent New York a lot. I still have my New York roots in me, so I'm always in New York. I always go see fam, but I do a lot of business in New York as well. My background is pretty much (laughs) simple. I guess you could call it simple. I grew up in a one-parent home with my mother. I lived a life of crime, but I didn't have to. Mm -hmm. I chose that life. It didn't choose me. And I did what I did. I went to jail. I sat nine months. I beat it, came home, changed my life around, and now I'm here. Mm -hmm. And you talk about changing your life around. I mean, it was really such a second chance. And you talked about how you chose it. What was that moment where you said... I'm going to take advantage of this second chance I've got. Yeah, I choose everything I do. Mm-hmm. I chose the life of crime. I chose game banging. I chose to turn my life around and come up out of that and do right. So when I sat in jail, I had to go to court and I went to church. See, I wasn't a child that found God in jail. I already knew him. We was in church every Sunday, and all of that stuff. Mm-hmm. So... I had to go to court and the prophecies came to the jail. Every week you could have church. So the prophecies came and I talked to her. I was like, listen, I go to court next week. And she was like, you don't have to say nothing. It's already done. And I was like, but she was like, you don't have to say nothing. And I was like, all right, I got it. I hear you. You know what I'm saying? So I went to court and it was done. (laughs) It, It was like, wow. So I said that if I get out of this, I'm going to drop my flag because I was game banging and I'm not going to sell no more drugs and I'm going to do the right thing. I came home, tied up some loose ends within six months and I got myself together and I've been doing it gracefully ever since. And I got to say this slow money is the best money. Mm-hmm. How difficult was it to go from one point to another? I mean, they talk about people that have been in jail before and how hard is it to sort of make that transition because now you're a successful business owner with multiple businesses. I mean, it is a huge amount of work and so much that you've given back to the community. How difficult was that? Well, speaking for myself, it really, see, I'm a chameleon, right? So I get in where I fit in. I was already a business owner when I went to jail. I opened up my first business in 03 as a bail agent. Mm-hmm. So I was already doing that. So it wasn't really nothing but for me to choose my circle wisely, get mm-hmm. around people. Because, see, you are who you're around. So if you want to be on the street corners and doing all that stuff, that's who you're going to surround yourself with. 
But if you want to be this and be great and be influential, you're going to surround yourself with those kind of people. So I did. See, I always had two sides in life. I lived a double life. So I already had the mindset to be with these kind, but I chose this way. So I just let them go. You know, it's with me, it was nothing for me to say, listen, I can't do this no more. I got a different path. Then it was just not having a conversation at all, just letting people go about their lives and you see them when you see them. It was no love loss with me. I never had no bad apples in the street. So it was an easy transition for me. A lot of people don't have that gift, don't have that talent, don't have that blessing. But for me, it was, I never had a bad name in the street. So it was pretty much easy for me. The struggle came from getting other people to understand what you're trying to do. Mm -hmm. Whatever you're doing right, it's always some people that's trying to make you do bad or bring you down or whatever. So you Mm -hmm. just... uh, Use your discernment and what I did. And you got to figure out who's who around you. So I lost many, many associates Uh or friends. They were associates. I lost a lot of them in my climb to the top. Now I'm sitting here damn near by myself (laughs) (laughs) because I had to choose what I wanted and who I was going to be involved with and hang around. And I'm still choosing to this day. I'm choosing. So it was just a transition to doing right and staying on the right path. Now, it was always easy for me to stay on the right path because, again, I chose the drug life. It didn't choose me. So I didn't have a decision where I had to make, damn, should I, if I leave it, I'm not going to have this kind of money, then my mom ain't going to pay a bill. I didn't have that problem. Mm -hmm. So I always had the family support. I always had one person around me cheering me on, but I instantly start building this by myself. Mm -hmm. One of the commitments you've made is really telling the stories of people who are incarcerated, of recidivism, um, those second chances in your magazine, State Versus Us magazines. Tell me a little bit about that magazine and how you started it. Okay. (laughs) State Versus Us, man. This is my baby. It started in 2017 after a conversation with my ex. And he wanted to do a magazine based around stuff we go through in the prison. I'm like, what? We wake up, we eat, we play rec, we fight, we play games, and we do cook-ups and hook-ups. And I mean, it's, who wants to talk about that? Let's talk about things that are evolving with my people. Let's talk about wrongful conviction. Talk about the success stories of formerly incarcerated such as myself. Let's talk about all of these things and give them updates on different laws that has been passed federally and state. And that's what I did. He was against it. So he had to go. (laughs) And I kept it moving with what my mission was. And it has evolved and catapulted and to me helping get released six people from prison to me being archived in the Strongbird Center for Black Research Culture in Harlem, New York. Mm -hmm. Me being nominated, no, I won Publisher of the Year in 2019, to me being on five prison catalogs, to just like different things, right? And the impact that it has had on incarceration people is phenomenal. These guys write me just to thank me 
first of all. I get fan mail all the time. And I call the fan mail the people who are lusting over me. (laughs) (laughs) I get mail all the time from them guys to this. Like, thank you. We we trapped inside the cave and we trapped behind the wall and and all of that. And it, it's empowering because I'm doing what was right. I'm doing what's for me and what I got to let the world know how black America is only 13.4 of the population. But we 34 percent of the prison population mm-hmm. it makes sense to me. So I'm tackling that and some prisons try to block me. You know what I'm saying? Trying to knock me off my square and try to block the magazine from getting in. But I challenge that. I called the prison. I let them know, like, you can't do this. And one guy in the magazine industry, he said, when that happened, he said, you're the first person I ever heard do that. And I've been doing this for 25 years. Mm-hmm. And when we get those, we just say, OK, and keep it moving. I said, no, nah, yo, you're taking people money that's in jail. Did you understand the ramifications behind that? You taking people money in the jail, and if the jail say no to that book, they can't get it, and they send it back to you, that money is gone, and you still got your product. I'm not going for that. We're going to get this magazine in there, and I'm going to stand up against any prison that try to block it. Because I'm, And then one jail tried to say I was telling them, causing conflict, and telling, um, what's the word they use? I can't really think of the word they use. <laughs> But it's basically trying to tell them cause a riot or anything in that form. And I'm nowhere near doing that. Uh-huh. Interviewing people and they telling their stories about what they went through in life, about their wrongful conviction and things like that. So it's an empowering magazine, man. And I just recommend people just to get it. The Pratt Library is saving you money every day. From books to hotspots to free databases that can help you learn a new language, get a homework tutor, and more. Your Pratt Library card opens a world of access. Find out how much money you're saving at prattlibrary.org calculator. You're free to be more at the Pratt. You, in a lot of ways, say that you're a voice for the voiceless in doing these interviews and telling these stories. How has it personally affected you being able to tell stories that might not otherwise have been told. Stressful. Because I see reading these stories is one thing that is heartbreaking. And I find myself helping everybody. Oh, my goodness. When these guys write me, they write me their stories. They send me, because they if you wrongfully convicted, you got to prove it, right? You got to send me the proof that this is wrongful conviction. So... When they write me, they send me these tracks. I'm talking about stacks of paper that a lawyer would have because they think that's what I am. And they depend on me so much that they think that I need all of this to help get them home. And I got to tell them, I don't need all of this paperwork. But just reading this paperwork and reading a story, reading an interview, I'd be so pissed because I'm like, how can we do this to another human? but treat your animal like they human. Mm-hmm. Go figure that. They in the jails, treating these people like they the animal and go home and kiss their dog in the mouth. Mm-hmm. Like, you got to sit there and let that marinate. How does this happen? How does a human be so 
criminal and so inhumane to another human. And if you look at it, 60% of these men and women in jail are illiterate. So if we had more people reading, we wouldn't have it so many people being illiterate, being in prison, because they'd be able to read their transcripts and understand it. They'd be able to know when they, their lawyer doing wrong to their case. And then you'll be able to find out that the prosecutor is committing prosecutorial misconduct. If you had the knowledge and read in the mindset when you went to jail, you would know all of these things to prevent you from jail. But then again, you wouldn't even be going to jail Mm -hmm. because you'll be preventing these things if you knew your law. You out here hustling, don't know your mayor. You serving the mayor because you don't know the mayor. You don't know who the governor is. You out here breaking law and you don't have no money for bail. You don't have no lawyer money. So these, it's a whole bunch of things that play a part, but the government is ultimately the people who direct these strategies and put it in the place that we are now. Just like the officer that just got locked up for selling guns and drugs to a bike club. That's where the guns are coming from. That's where the drugs are coming from. Pookie and Ray Ray can't go overseas or go out of town and do that. These guys don't believe they block. So you absolutely have officers and military going in our neighborhoods, popping a trunk open, giving this stuff to our community. It only happens in our community. So when they come against me, they already 15 years in and just now realizing after being locked up for 15 years that they've been wrongfully convicted. Hmm. That's because they learning how to read. They learning how to study cases. They looking at their case be like, wait a minute. The state didn't turn over a witness in my case. The state held evidence in my case that could have released me. Mm. Real-time situations that are happening with our men and women in prison. Mm-hmm. Starting your magazine is also one of the things that was sort of the impetus for you starting Urban Reads Bookstore. So tell me about the bookstore, how long it's been open, what you do there. Tell me a little about Urban Reads. Urban Reads is the, I'm calling it historical already. It's only been, it'd be three years of December. <laughs> State versus Us magazine is the reason Urban Reads is open. I went to several businesses before because I already had distribution in Barnes and Nobles and Books a Million, That's but that's not where I wanted to be. I wanted to be with my people. I wanted to be local and with my people and no one would give me a, a shot on their shelves. So I said, I'm going to open up a bookstore and I'm going to put my own book on my shelf And I'm going to give local authors and prison authors an opportunity to make some money with me. And that's what we're doing over here. We're making money. So I went in this just like my magazine with no experience. I'm a go ahead type chick, like (laughs) figure it out as I go. Mm -hmm. And that's what I've done. And Urban Reads has become a beacon of this community. We do a lot. I'm starting this project called Urban Reads Kids, where we're going to teach these babies how to read. Um, America is on a seventh to ninth grade reading level, but Black America is on third and fourth. Mm-hmm. So my job is to tackle that. Who am I to have a bookstore and not tackle that? So my job is to tackle that with the literacy program under Urban Reads Kids. And we're going to teach these babies how to read. And hell, if they parents need it, they, we're going to teach them too. Because that's where a lot of this comes from. These parents don't know. These parents are illiterate. So we can't expect them to teach their children at home because they don't know. They just 
going to work every day and they don't know how to read. They're not functioning properly. So I want to help tackle that. So we got another initiative, Urban Reads Youth Summit. I always done youth summits because I started this whole mission out on radio by owning a radio station. And since that first year, I've done youth summits. But I took a break because I didn't have nowhere to put them. So I got my store now and we doing Urban Reads Youth Summits here every year where we talk to these babies about their issues. We talk about bullying. We talk about the murder rate, racism, poor sex. See, people in denial about this sex. They think a kindergarten not having sex. Are you crazy? That's what you're supposed to be teaching them, just like you're teaching them that game. You teach them about sex. You teach them how to prevent sex at 12, 13, 14, 15. Me personally, I don't think anyone should have a baby before 21. You're still learning. You still got things to do. You're growing. You're in school and you have to figure it out. And even worse, having a baby at 16 or 14 or 12. My little cousin had a baby at 12. At 12. And see, her father was on drugs. Her mother was on drugs. So she left to the streets. We have a lot of that going on right now. So to prevent that, I'm doing everything I can do to prevent what happens around me. That's what the summit is for, to discuss these topics with these babies and get them ready for school, to go into the school year with the mindset of, I am strong. I will not be weak. And different other affirmations that they could take along with them throughout the school year. And I could only pray that it upholds. Mm-hmm. Talk to me about where your bookstore is and why you wanted to specifically be in the community. I'm on 3008 Greenmount Avenue, Greenmount and 30th. And I needed to be here. I needed to be in this community for a reason. And that is to bring awareness to my people. We have a lot of work to do. And one of them is reading books. Uh-huh. My biggest consumer are white people. They like 70% of me. And why is that? Black people really don't read for real. Or they choose audio books thinking that is going to help them. When you look at the statistics in black communities, we're low. So I chose this community to bring a different perspective to this community, a different outlook into this community. And it's a diverse community, right? So we're just not all black over here. We Puerto Rican, we white. So it's different over here. But black America is heavy over here. And I chose this area to come and embrace my people and teach them different things that they wouldn't otherwise hear other places. Black kids coming here, seeing faces on books that they weren't seeing Barnes and Nobles. Uh-huh. They weren't seeing Books a Million. Because that's not what's sold there. They come in here and see Black faces and Black art. Otherwise, they won't see that in a school. The schools don't have these books. If teachers didn't buy books for me, they wouldn't be in their school elastics. The catalog that's in schools, they don't have these type of books. Mm-hmm. So they coming in here and they contributing what they see as them. And they come in here and they pick up a book. I tell parents all the time. If a child wants to read, don't prevent that. Mm-hmm. I'm out vending one day and a little boy wanted a book. Mother grabbing him. No, don't. You're not going over there. 
And I asked, I said, excuse me. She said, yeah. I said, would you do that if he wanted a video game? Would you want some sneakers? She just looked at me. I said, I'm speaking for real. Would you? She said, no. So why are you doing that for a $15 book? Mm. Like sometimes people got to be placed in situations to understand what's going on. I often tell parents, don't ever turn a child down that want to read. Because you don't read, you don't want to read, and your other children don't want to read, but this baby do. Don't take that away from him. The Free to Be More podcast is a production of the Enoch Pratt Free Library. Need help with food insecurity, emergency shelter, healthcare resources, or more? Social Worker in the Library is available at six Pratt Library locations. More details at prattlibrary.org. What does it mean to you personally to see those families come in, to see children's eyes light up when they see books that look like them? What kind of impact have you seen that have in such a short period of time in your community? Man, it's heavy. It's real heavy. These kids come in here and they be smiling. They be like, ooh, books. And and like one, oh man, this is, I tell this story all the time. So a whole family came in here. Mm-hmm. I think it was like five of them. And the little boy went to this one book, Dad in the Toy Store. A day with Dad in the Toy Store. <laughs> I swear, he wasn't lying. He said, oh, that look like me. Then he looked and he said, Daddy, this look like you too. <laughs> and I looked and I said, yeah, y'all do look like. So he correlated himself and his father on the book mm-hmm. and saw that there is a relation and he wanted that book because he saw them in that book. So it was just like a flip of the switch in my head. This happened as soon as I opened too. I said, I'm, I'm in the right place doing the right thing at the right time. What kind of impact do you think that could have for that little boy? Because it really does inspire this love of learning from such a young age that can have a giant impact for the rest of their lives. The impact is so vital to these babies. I had a parent come in here one time and bring his daughter to meet me. They see me speak somewhere. I can't remember where, but he saw me speak somewhere. And he told his 13-year-old daughter, he said, I got to take you to meet her because that's who you need to be around. He came in here and I met her and I stopped what I was doing. See, normally I turn people away who want to meet with me because I can't. That's just not the time. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. But particular day, I poured life into her. And it's impactful because someone cares. Someone's giving their time. And someone's showing you the way. And when I can mentor somebody for five minutes or two minutes, or just say one line and it gets them and they gravitate towards it, I've done my job. Mm-hmm. So I never, I don't think I ever seen that family again, but I knew what that did to that little boy to see himself and his father correlating him on that book. Mm-hmm. And he was so happy, so thrilled. And he told his dad was like, oh, look, daddy, I want this book. And he bought the book. So I understand the vibe and I understand that these kids just want to be seen and appreciated. These kids waiting for us to step up. They don't want to be out here fending for themselves. These kids waiting for our guidance. They want it. These children are in need of it. 
And the more we shy away from them, the more they're going to turn up on us. One of the other things you're doing with your bookstore is you're really bringing in some really significantly big named authors and they're able to sign books and meet with the community. What kind of reaction have you gotten at those events? Oh man, the most recent was Carmelo. <laughs> <laughs> I said big names. <laughs> yes, Carmelo and D. Watkins. D. Watkins have been doing business with me for over a year. Uh-huh. I asked him when he came out with that mellow book, I said, yo, I need a book signing with him. (laughs) And he didn't really have the connect with mellow at the time. Uh He did his book. And you know, a lot of it is via zoom or whatever. He just write and send it to him. So when the time came, he said, sis, remember you said you want a mellow. He said, I got you mellow. (laughs) Yo, I said, what? (laughs) <laughs> I handled it with such grace and ever since then he smells so good but ever <laughs> since then <laughs> Melo has been having me in his story he has been promoting my bookstore telling people about me so it's the impact that I have on people when they meet me that they just can't like yo gotta miss one you know what I'm saying <laughs> And that's what that impact was. And that's happened to D. Watkins. And it happens with a lot of these authors. I got Nicole Hannah-Jones coming. And it's going to happen with her, too. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I just be doing me. Mm-hmm. I mean, when families come to those and see, I mean, some of their heroes, they're getting to meet face-to-face. I mean, as you just sitting there, knowing that you were someone who facilitated this, what does it personally mean for you to see that type of impact that it's having? It's a win, man. It's a win because I sold out of that event in, in a week, six days. Mm-hmm. 200 names, 200 people signed on in six days. And I've never sold out of an event that fast. So to see those boys, those little boys, basketball players and some not basketball players, come to that event and excited to see Melo and have his jersey with him so he could sign it and all that kind of stuff. Man, it was fulfilling. I was like, this is a win. It's a win for the community. And I played a part in that. And I'm so happy to have been a part of playing that role that I was able to bring Carmelo Anthony to Baltimore to meet these babies. Man, it was it was phenomenal. Mm-hmm. One of the other things that we've talked a little bit about this that you're doing to give back is trying to improve literacy rates in prisons by donating books. Talk to me a little bit about how you're doing that. So it started off with two guys. Two guys wrote me and asked me, could I donate them a book? And at the time, I was just opening up. And I was like, I can't afford that. Mm -hmm. So I put it on Instagram asking for donations, man. In one week, I had 800 books. (laughs) One week. I said, oh, my God. So I said, okay, I'm just going to donate these books to the person. Mm-hmm. And that's what I've been doing ever since. Like Book Thing, they're behind me. Book Thing reached out to me, asked me, could they get my information to this guy who asked them for books? So she sent them to me because that's my mission. That's what I do. And he wrote me and he asked for eight books. I sent them four. And that's what it's about, right? getting these dudes to read. So 
60% of people incarcerated are illiterate. I have to get them reading. I have to get them books so they can read. And I get books donated to me all the time. People come in here with stacks of books and, and all kind of stuff. And I just need the money now to mm-hmm. shut the books off to the men and women in these prisons. Now I need the monetary cash to send these books into the prison because now I've outgrown what I'm doing here. I think it's very successful. And another thing I do is, so like when I be having these authors come, mm-hmm. I have people buy one and donate one to the prison. So that's what they do. They donate. So for Mellow Book Signing, I got 30 books donated to the prison. I started sending them off this yesterday. And I got 20 books of D. Watkins donated to the prison. Mm-hmm. And that's what I do. I get them in the prison. And I did Iron Maven. He's a local author here as well. Um, yeah. An artist. Um, I did his book. And we have an ongoing. So now we got an ongoing relationship when I, I do his books in the prison. So I have a prison catalog with all the books. And this time I added children books. Some of them people may want to order a book for their baby, you know? So I had children books to the list as well. And man, it's a big deal. It's a big deal. And it's growing fast. I'm going my way when I finish talking to you to go to the P.O. box to check my P.O. box. And it, it's just it's just a blessing. I'm amazed at the things that I'm able to do and have done in two and a half years being here. Mm-hmm. All the great things that I will continue to accomplish and do. And my last question for you, we talked a little bit about second chances and getting a second chance. What if there's someone out there that's listening to this and saying like, I need to make a change. I need to do something else. I need to give back to my community. They're looking for that second chance. (laughs) What advice would you give someone about second chances and how they can really make a difference? So we need to be talking to the people who give second chances. Everybody want a second chance. Everybody coming home from prison want a second chance. So we need to be talking to those who give second chances. Give them a second chance. Now, everybody not going to be good for it, right? People will start off correct and it can end bad. But 90% of the people want that second chance. And if you just give it to them and just watch the growth in that person and watch how they assembly into being great and doing dope things and and just get, if somebody just gave, see, I had, everybody didn't have what I had. So sure. you people at home to their whole neighborhood gone, their mother gone, their aunt, their grandmother, their brothers, their sisters, they coming home to just they self. Mm-hmm. Who we got to wrap our arms around and let them know that you are not alone, right? So those are the people that really need to be paid attention to because those people kill themselves because they don't know what they're going to do after 15 years of being in prison. They institutionalized. So they don't. Mm-hmm. Which way to go? They don't have help. It ain't like prison give you a, 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 a direct line to the plug. You got to come out here and find the plug. Mm-hmm. Prison don't even give you an ID when you come home. They don't even give you no money. They don't give you nothing but the parole officer number. That's it. We got to wrap our arms around these people. We can't be looking at prison as a bad thing and turning your nose up like you better than that person. You don't. The only thing you good at is staying home. You probably just didn't get caught. <laughs> People steal every day. Lie every day. People commit criminal acts every day. And because they didn't get caught, they think it's okay. So we got to be able to be mindful 
about the roles that we play in people's lives. And we got to use our words carefully. You got to be careful what you say to people because that manifests back to you. You can't be out here being ignorant and wrong in people for no reason because they've been in prison. We got to be a village again. Like, I don't know what happened to this village, but the village is gone. We had to be a village. We have to take our village back. We have to wrap our arms around these formerly incarcerated people when they come home, provide them adequate resources. If we got a transitional house, we can't have drugs in a transitional house. You know they weakness. You mm-hmm. can't they weakness around them. How are they going to rehabilitate when you got that around them? So now you're acting like the prison. Mm-hmm. What happened to rehabilitation? What happened to the love that we give people and we share to people? So we got to give people a second chance. Of course, everybody ain't going to make it. But the majority of the people who are asking for a second chance will make it. Give these kids a job. These squeegee babies. Teach them how to clean the streets. How to be a good worker. How to give them job development. What's wrong with that? Why are we putting them in the media as such a bad thing when they just kids surviving? Because mm-hmm. their mother is strung out on drugs or their mother worked four jobs or their father has been murdered in these streets or, or in jail. So why we got to treat them like what they've been going through their whole going life? Mm-hmm. Can't we give them job development? Train them to be good workers. Give them a job. All these jobs out here that's open, these squeegee kids can fill that up. We teach them. We train them the proper way. Show them what a resume look like. These babies I don't even know what a resume look like because they never seen something like that before. Show them what a resume look like. Show them what job training looks like. Show them when you what you're supposed to wear when you go to an interview, how grooming yourself properly works. We don't do that. And, and it's sad that instead of the media bigging that part up, they do this. My job and my team, our job is to do the opposite of what they're doing. we reaching people. One at a time. You've done so much in just two and a half years. What is your dream for the future of Urban Reads Bookstore? Populate these jokers all over the country. <laughs> <laughs> Populate them, man. We See, when I first started this, I said I only want urban communities. But as I start learning and start seeing, man, white people need me too. Asian people need me too. Latino people need me as well. Because they don't see what I see. Because they got Barnes and Noble. See, Barnes and Nobles would never come over here where I am. Mm-hmm. So I want to be able to be that catalyst between the community. And I'm going to put these bookstores everywhere so people can understand that literacy is important. And we got to do this together. It's nothing about us without us. And we have to understand that structure to understand what community is. Uh Tia Hamilton, thank you so much for your time. This was a great conversation. Thank you for having me. And they can reach me on Instagram at State VSUS or Urban Reads Bookstore. Perfect. Thank you so much. You're welcome. No problem. The Read to Reef Book Club returns to the Pratt Library this October. Children 5th grade and younger can pick up a special bookmark at any Pratt location while supplies last. Log five aquatic-themed books and earn four free tickets to the National Aquarium. 
More information at prattlibrary.org. I'm Megan McCorkle, and you've been listening to the Free to Be More podcast by the Enoch Pratt Free Library. You can follow the Pratt on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. If you haven't yet, go to Apple Podcasts and subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. Join me next month for another Free to Be More conversation. Thanks for listening.